In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Quick question for you. Are you on my email list yet? The Wildfire Newsletter is a great place to get all the wildfire-related goods, from details and photos of podcast guests to how to take advantage of my free writing workshops. Each week here on the podcast, you hear a story ripped from the pages of Wildfire Magazine. I've always wanted to say that. That's my little nod to Law & Order. If you know, you know. Here's the thing. Maybe you've been thinking about submitting your own story. I hope this podcast is inspiring you to want to write and share. My newsletter is a great place to get submission guidelines and issue details for upcoming themes for our magazine. I publish every other month on themes that help us dive into what survivorship means and looks like. The newsletter is also where I share deeply personal stories from my own 10 years in cancer land. So pop over to wildfirecommunity.org to add your name and email to the list to become a wildfire insider today. All right, here we go with today's episode. No one plans to get cancer. That's the understatement of the year. But seriously, no one plans for any of life's hiccups. But that's the thing about life, isn't it? As John Lennon sang in Beautiful Boy, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. For some of us, cancer is what happens when we were looking the other way. I know for me that the night I felt the lump in my left breast, I could not have felt more happy, more healthy in my body. I could not have felt more like life was finally on track. And then wham, my diagnosis was stage 3C. That means that while it was aggressive, it was still considered early stage. It was in my lymph nodes, but not in organs beyond my breast. I did more than a year of treatment, but being early stage also meant that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I was expected to reach remission or no evidence of disease as we call it now. But what if your life is going along beautifully and then the wham is a stage four metastatic diagnosis? You're living life, you're busy, so you fold cancer as best you can into your plans. But it's a lot like making a chocolate cake when one of the eggs you have to use is rotten. There's no getting around that rotten egg, no matter how much you try to incorporate it, how much extra sugar, vanilla, chocolate you add to cover it up. It's still there. I'm a big fan of metaphors, as you can see, and my guest today will also use a metaphor for what her life with metastatic breast cancer is like. 
Kiara Riga is here with me today. She was diagnosed in her 20s. She's a marketing operations manager during the week and devotes her weekends to hiking with friends and her dog, paddleboarding, taking short adventures to nearby towns, and has recently taken up surfing. We both live here in Santa Cruz, California, so I can attest that this is a brilliant use of her weekends. On top of that, she's currently working towards her goal of seeing all 63 U.S. national parks. Hey, Kiara, welcome to The Burn. Hi, April. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So you're here to read a piece you wrote called Emerging from the Ashes of Year One. You wrote and submitted this piece for Wildfire's NBC Stage 4 Survivorship issue. This was an issue that came out last October 2021, and we devoted the entire issue to women living with metastatic cancer, sharing how they survive each day. And your story chronicled the first year of survivorship for you. After you read, we'll talk more about what the last six months have looked like for you, what survivorship looks like today, and more. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. All right, Kiara, I'll let you take it away. Thank you. We need to biopsy this right away. I'm genuinely concerned that you may have breast cancer. The kind-eyed radiologist's words bounced around in my head as I lay on the crinkly paper with ultrasound goop on my chest, feeling claustrophobic behind my surgical mask. I couldn't make any sense of these words. I was here to have the cyst that we had found a year ago drained. How is it possible that over the course of a year, the cyst had disappeared and cancer had taken its place? When the biopsy results came back, confirming the radiologist's concerns, I immediately went into planning mode. This is fine, I thought to myself. My cancer treatment will end right around the time that the pandemic will be winding down. I'll go through treatment while everyone's stuck inside anyways, and then I can go back to my normal life at the same time that all of my friends do, so I won't even miss anything. If you're going to get cancer, this is best case scenario. I clung to these thoughts throughout the following weeks with no idea how wrong they would turn out to be. Not only was I unaware of the struggles of survivorship after treatment for early-stage breast cancer, I was also unaware of the dozens of spots of cancer taking hold in nearly every bone in my body. I went to appointments with doctors and surgeons and planned for what my reconstructed breasts would look like. I went for more scans and imaging and mentally planned the party I would throw when I was deemed cancer-free. I had more biopsies and told the radiologists all about where I would travel once cancer was behind me. It wasn't until the CT scan results came back that I finally realized how much my life was about to change and that I might never go back to normal life. My oncologist called me early that Monday morning to tell me the extent of my bone metastasis and let me know that I'm stage four. The words she didn't say, this cancer will kill you, hung heavy on that phone line. Gone were the plans I had made for life after cancer. There would be no life after cancer. I would live with this cancer until it killed me. Thus began my lifelong struggle of survivorship, because yes, we're survivors even if we have MBC and we'll never know a life post-cancer. We get up every day and live our lives despite the monster in our bodies that is trying to kill us. We deal with the immense pain from the cancer and the side effects from our toxic treatments. We watch our friends and MBC sisters die one by one, knowing that it will be us one day, and yet we still press on. If that's not what it means to be a survivor, I'm not sure what is. Survivorship has taken many forms for me in the nearly a year that I've lived with this cancer. 
At first, I thought that if I lived my life as close to what it was before my diagnosis, I would be able to convince myself that I was fine and that MBC hasn't changed anything. I spent time with friends like I used to, but when they started talking about their big life changes, my eyes would glaze over and I would disassociate from the conversations. Hearing them talk about things like getting married, having babies, and moving away all by themselves made me feel immense grief, knowing that it would likely never be feasible for me to experience any of those life milestones no matter how much I longed for them. Nevertheless, I continued to spend time with those friends, put on a happy face when they spoke about those things, and bury my grief deep inside me. If I just acted like nothing had changed for me, everything would be fine, right? Wrong. As it turns out, you can only bury feelings of grief for so long before they come bubbling to the surface, erupting like a volcano when you least expect it. For me, the eruption happened on a totally average Thursday evening. I had just finished dinner and was settling in to watch TV before bed. I turned on the next episode in my Schitt's Creek binge, and in the episode, one of my favorite characters, motel clerk Stevie, made a comment that while she was so happy for her best friend's engagement, she wished that she wasn't watching it all happen from behind the motel desk. This seemingly innocuous comment caused a volcano of emotions to erupt inside of me. All of my feelings started pouring out at once, the anger and envy and most of all the sadness. I cried and cried as if a dam had broken, tears streaming down my cheeks. I felt that character's plight deep inside my soul. I was also watching my friend's successes from behind a desk, only my desk was invisible and permanent. NBC will always be that metaphorical desk that stands between me and those without a life-threatening illness. I can see them living the dreams I've always had, but I will never be able to come out from behind that desk to live them myself. I stayed buried under that lava of emotions for a long while. I withdrew from the people I loved. I canceled plans. I wallowed. Several months' worth of emotions came pouring out all at once, and it took me time to process them. Slowly but surely, and with the help of an excellent psych-oncologist, I found myself again. Only it wasn't the me that I was before diagnosis. It was a new me, and one that I like to think is an improvement on the old me. I'm more direct and assertive. I ask for what I need, and I have a clear understanding of the things that are important to me in this new phase of life. Finding this new and improved version of myself required acceptance of my diagnosis, of my prognosis, and what life looks like now. I've accepted that I may not be able to move somewhere where I don't know a soul, and I likely will never have kids or climb as high as I'd like to on the career ladder, but I have new goals and milestones to look forward to now. I will celebrate my cancerversary with more kitsch and excess than a bachelorette party each year because making it another year with NBC is a huge milestone. I will always have the goal of one day seeing NEAD on my scan report. And the most important goal of all, to make sure that between all of the treatments, side effects, and appointments, I make time for what is important to me, spending time with the people I love and seeing more of this beautiful world. In truth, NBC survivorship is a constant journey of grief. 
Grief is not linear, and I'm certain that there will be days when I'm back in the depths of sadness or burying my head in the sand of denial. But now that I've come to this understanding of what NBC survivorship means, I know that these waves of grief are necessary. They teach me what's important to me, provide lessons that are necessary for me to reach acceptance, and ultimately help me become a better version of myself. So I will ride those waves of sadness, denial, and anger, knowing that on the other side there will be acceptance, and it is an acceptance where I'll not just be surviving, but thriving. Mm. Beautiful story, Kira. Thank you so much. Thank you Thank for reading you. it. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's take a quick break here for a testimonial. And when we come back, we'll get an update from you. I attended my first wildfire workshop uh, probably about six months after my initial diagnosis. And truly, wildfire has become such an integral part of my healing journey. It's hard to even find the words to express how much this has really, really helped me find my feet again after some truly terrible turmoil and also flex some creative muscles that I had on the back burner for far too long. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the welcome and encouragement, Wildfire. You're just the best. All right, thank you so much for that love, Jen. All right, welcome back, Yara. Thank you again for your powerful writing. Thank you for having me and and letting me read it. Mm-hmm. So let's dig right in. It's been, um, I, let's see, we published that story in October 2021. You wrote it sometime before that. So time has continued to march on. Do you want to give us an update on how you are these days? Yeah, so I'm doing well. It was funny reading over that. I saw the goal of um, NEAD on a scan report, and my last scan did show that. Um, I had another scan just today without results yet, so we'll see if that's still the case. But um, yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm uh, Treatment's working, keeping me feeling okay, and yeah. That's wonderful. So NEAD, for anyone who doesn't know, that's no evidence of active disease. So that's a really big deal. Kara, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it was super exciting. I really never thought I would get there with the extent of bone metastasis that I have. Yeah, well, that's a really good um, segue. I wanted to talk to you about milestones. Your your piece is a lot about milestones. And I know because I, I know you beyond this podcast that you just had a birthday. So cancerversaries, birthdays are all they're they're more complicated now, right? After mm-hmm. cancer. Can you talk a little bit about about milestones and what they mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think birthdays in particular are like a difficult one, right? Because with NBC, you're given, you know, I was given maybe 10 to 15 years. Um, and that's being very optimistic, right? And so I just turned 29. I was diagnosed at 27. And so all that's going on in my head is like, did I do enough in those two years? Have I experienced enough? Am I even going to see 40? When's going to be the last one? You know, things like that. And so um, that milestone is a tough one. But then I kind of almost feel the opposite, weirdly, about cancerversaries. It feels like that's my time to be like, hey, I, you know, you can't beat me here. I've moved past this. Well, not moved past it, but you know what I mean, right? Like I, I've been here for the year this cancer has tried to make it not so, and I've managed to persevere through that. Right. So, um, 
I think, I mean, I'm very much like I have anniversaries of everything in my calendar and I really like to just at least reflect on them, if not celebrate them, because I think they're all really important. Oh, I'm a huge fan of celebrating. I think we have to, not just like the big milestones, but we need to celebrate all of the little wins because otherwise it's the the knocks, the hard things that start to feel like they're leaving deeper grooves. And so we have Mm -hmm. to, we kind of have to kind of make the happy days really stick, I think sometimes, because that's what helps us carry through the the other days. I know you recently shared a poem, I mean, not a poem, a, um, a quote, and I'm trying to think of it offhand. Do you remember it offhand to share it? You had it on your Instagram recently. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and the manner in which you live. Mm-hmm. I agree with that so much. And I loved that you shared it. Um, And I know we've been talking about it over the last week too, because there's, and this comes up in your story too, right? Like who gets to call themselves a survivor and what does surviving mean? And I love how you said, what more could a survivor be than one who gets up and faces the day, knowing that it might be a hard day, knowing that it likely will be a hard day. And survivorship isn't necessarily a a finish line, something you get to cross at the end. And and I think it is about the living. And I also wonder if you have an opinion about this, but I personally really hate it when people, first of all, use war language around cancer, but then say that someone succumbed to their fight with cancer or something like that. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. Tell me what you're thinking. I tell all my friends that if anyone writes that about me on Instagram, I will be haunting them. Um, I I really, really hate that because nobody lost. At the very least, it was a draw because when you die, so does the cancer. So like the cancer didn't win anything, but also we didn't lose. Like we're still here. We're still living our lives despite all of it. So who are you to say who's still living and maybe never experienced this? To say that, like, I lost something, you know, like, it's, I don't think of it as a battle, especially with NBC, it almost has to be like somewhat of a symbiotic relationship, not in the best way. But like, I I don't know, obviously, I want to get rid of the cancer, but I know it can't go anywhere. So I have to figure out how to live despite it. And so yeah, I really hate the war language. I really hate the, the um, oh, she lost her battle. I didn't lose anything. Heck no. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think I think part of the reason I hate that so much is it's almost like the flip side of the coin of you must have done something wrong to have, you know, acquired terminal cancer. So we're always as humans, I think, trying to understand like, okay, what did tell me everything you did so I can avoid doing that. And then we also say it about death because somehow I think we think we're actually going to escape it as well. It's yes. Yes. I get so many people who are like, well, how'd you get it? And I'm like, there's no, I know they're just trying to separate themselves from me. And it's like, oh, well, when she was in college, she drank a lot and she's Italian. So she really loves prosciutto and like all these little things that are like somewhat tied to cancer tangentially that people think is like, 
a me problem, but I guarantee you that everyone looking at those statistics engages in some sort of activity and I just got a shitty hand. You know, it's it's like a really tough thing to have to constantly be like, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't cause this. Like nobody asks for this. If I knew how to prevent it, I would have, but there is no way to prevent it. And this is not an invitation to jump in my DMs and try and sell me cancer prevention. I get plenty oh, of that, but um, no. yeah. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Well, we could talk a lot about that, but I want to yes. come back to, <laughs> I was just thinking when you were talking about that, um, about this, this kind of silver lining thing. And I know you'll never say you're glad that cancer came along. I would certainly never say that. But I do want to bring up the fact that um, you recently met Stevie. And I want to bring this back to Schitt's Creek and your story. So opportunities have come your way since your diagnosis. How are you reconciling this? I guess tell us the story about meeting Stevie. But also, how are you reconciling that this terrible thing arrived in your life And because of that, you're having kind of a different life than you thought you would have. Yeah. So um, the story of meeting Stevie was pretty cool. Um, I... Um, the Today Show had an article about me go up and it had a very small mention about the moment I talked about in my piece, um, where Stevie says she's watching David from behind the desk. Um, and I, the... Today show mentioned Emily Hampshire, who plays Stevie. So I guess someone must have had a Google alert for her name or something, because all of a sudden, like two days after the article goes up, I get a follow and a DM from her saying, hey, I would love to take you to lunch. Um, And so we would chat kind of back and forth. We're both from Montreal. And eventually I was in Joshua Tree and I was like, it's not that long of a detour to go to LA. And so um, she took me out for an incredible dinner. She is the sweetest human being you'll ever meet. Um, And we still keep in touch occasionally. And she's just really the coolest. And I feel like I've gotten so many things like that just from like sharing my story and like I would give cancer back in a heartbeat if I could, but I also think that I've gotten so many amazing things, right? Like Lauren, who April knows is one of my closest cancer friends and just friends. Like I can talk to her about anything. And I never would have met this girl from Missouri if not for cancer. And she's like one of the biggest blessings in my life. Right. And, you know, getting to go on TV, national TV, that was like such a cool experience and being able to share my story and help others, you know, like occasionally I'll open up the DMs of my cancer Instagram and find people saying like, hey, because of you, I had this checked out and it was only stage one. And like, that's such a rewarding thing to be able to experience. And I wouldn't have had that before cancer. So I really feel like it's given me a purpose, a drive, a confidence and some pretty cool perks along the way too. Well, and I love that all of this is growing out of you being vulnerable and transparent and sharing your story. And I know that takes time. So for anyone listening who's, you know, more freshly diagnosed or even, you know, still not quite there, it does take time. Um, But I know that you've been practicing writing your story because you're in my workshop and Lauren too. Hello to Lauren. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how writing has played a role in in your survivorship over this last year and change now. 
I think it's been so huge. I mean, I'm in, I think, my fourth consecutive workshop with you. I promise I'll give you a break after this. Um, But I just, it's been so key for me to be able to kind of there are thoughts that I didn't know that I had. And then April will put up a prompt and all of a sudden I'm like writing them all out. Right. So just being able to process things through writing is so different from talking. I also feel too, like if I talk to a therapist or a friend, they're coming back to me with an answer. And then maybe I have a fleeting thought that's then gone. But when April sets that timer for 10 minutes of just me and my journal, That's me being able to process all of those things and those fleeting thoughts aren't fleeting anymore. I can put them down on the page. And so it's just such an incredible way to be able to process things. And um, sometimes sharing them is also really fun, sometimes not. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really key piece of survivorship for me. I like that. I also like that you and Lauren are doing this together. I don't Mm -hmm. often have friends sign up together. I have people become lasting friends in workshops, but can you, I'm just curious, like why, um, why spend that time writing together? Why not just be, you know, chatting on the phone together? I mean, I think it's something we both really love to do and living, like I'm in California, she's in Missouri. So it's tough to like get together and do an activity. So we're constantly texting throughout the day anyways, right? And we talk all the time. Um, But I think just being able to write this stuff, like I've learned things about her and I'm sure Mm -hmm. she would say the same of me when we share our writing in the workshops that like I never would have thought of otherwise. Like it's just a very cool way to kind of bond with each other, get to know each other on a different level and kind of you know, I originally met Lauren as a mentor of mine through a cancer nonprofit. And so it's, you know, she's no longer a mentor, but we're still working on processing these things together in this workshop setting now. Yes, absolutely. And stuff comes up, you know, not just for you guys, but for everyone who goes through that, that gets processed, you know, in real time. It would be nice if everything was already in the past, you know, all traumas have already happened and it's smooth sailing, but stuff comes up and we write it out. And I just love that you guys are doing it um, together. I think it's a great, a great way to spend um, time with a friend. And like you said, you get to know each other through prompts in a way that maybe you would never think to ask that question or really go that deep. Um, So I think that's really, really cool. Well, Kiara, our time has um, reached its end. I want to thank you again for reading your story. So for everyone listening, I hope you will look up Kiara's story again. It was called Emerging from the Ashes of Year One from our October-November 2021 issue of Wildfire called NBC Stage 4 Survivorship. Kiara, where can people find you online so they can sell you their cancer-fighting products in your DMs? (laughs) Um, I have a cancer profile on Instagram. It's at Kiara versus cancer. My first name is spelled C-H-I-A-R-A, and then the versus is V-S, and then cancer. Perfect. And we'll link to you as well. And I was totally kidding. Do not sell Kiara anything. Yeah, yeah, let's not. I have a pretty quick block finger for that kind of thing. (laughs) I'm sure it's been honed in this last year. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks again, Kiara. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 36 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to join that mailing list so you stay in the know. Here is your writing prompt. I have for you today a quote from Ruth Awad. And Kiara, this will sound familiar to you because it was in our writing workshop this week. Ruth's quote is, everything will hurt for a while. And the lie is that I survived because parts of me didn't. Parts of me didn't survive. That really struck me when I read this quote because that's the essence of what we're doing here at Wildfire. We're giving weight to the forest fire that it is the cancer diagnosis, and we're seeing what fresh life will emerge from the ashes. So what parts of you did not survive your cancer experience? And what new parts are beginning to emerge? What parts of you are becoming stronger? Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.